how do y'all approach spending categories? Am I crazy? You know, how do you approach that? I want to jump in here first and say, I appreciate that the usage of y'all just rubbed off on yep. Bryce. I yep. did. <laughs> Love it. Oh, bless your it's heart, a, it, Bryce. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, let's not be mean. <laughs> bless no, your heart. that's the ultimate Southern compliment. <laughs> that's not my bless understanding of it. <laughs> yeah, that's not my understanding of bless your heart. I, I, I don't know. Maybe North Carolina is a little too far north. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Welcome to Take Off, a podcast by 10X Travel. I'm Bryce Conway. I guess you could call me your host. I'm here with Travis, Emily, Matt. Good morning, everyone. I want to quickly start this episode off with a bit of a curveball here. And this is mainly self-interested because I'm in a show hole. But can we all just say, like, what's a recent show that you've watched recently that's awesome or worth watching? Ooh. Could be on any, any platform. I'll go first while you think about it. I've been watching you on Netflix, which is nuts. Like nuts. The story writing that they could do, just keep on pulling it apart, stretching it. New twists, turns. Great show. Worth watching. Big fan. What's after that, though? I have a show that's not worth watching. (laughs) Even better. (laughs) Well, I mean, just too hot to handle on Netflix is just a total guilty pleasure show. And I watched like two seasons of it over the past week. (laughs) But you're saying we shouldn't watch it? Yeah. I mean, unless you want to rot your brain but it's great <laughs> in a bad way. <laughs> I've been getting into uh, Ted Lasso season three. Yes, that's on the list for sure. Uh, I've been I've been watching Alice in Borderland on Netflix. Um, if you liked Squid Game, you'll be a fan. If you're squeamish, definitely avoid it. <laughs> Noted. Okay. Well said. Okay. With that out of the way, let's get back to the thing that we know best, points and miles. On this episode, we're going to continue down the path of talking about how to earn points and miles, which is the first goal of anyone in the points and miles hobby. We talked on the last episode about credit cards and credit card bonuses. Today, we're going to go through other ways to earn points outside of just credit card bonuses. We're going to talk about ongoing spend and perks from credit cards. We're going to talk about actually flying paid flights, shopping portals, dining portals, buying miles pretty much every other way under the sun that you can earn points and miles. So to jump right into that, let's start first with talking about earning points on credit cards outside of credit card bonuses and other perks and things to consider when choosing which credit cards to sign up for. We should probably start first, though, by again addressing the main issue that comes up with credit cards and discussions on, hey, we love opening lots of credit cards, and that's credit score related things. We're really just addressing the stigma that credit cards equal bad, evil. So let's uh, let's jump into that first. I want to throw this around to the group. Uh, what would you say, friends, are some of the most common myths about credit cards as it relates to how we use them here in the points and miles hobby? Yeah. I think one of the big ones that goes around a lot is like somehow you're supposed to carry a balance. And I think it stems from like a misunderstanding of how credit cards work. Like, Factually, like a big part of your credit score is your credit usage and like the percentage of the credit that you have and how much of that you're using. So people interpret that to think you're supposed to carry a balance to show you're using it when in reality you should be like letting your statement close with a balance on it, but always paying it off by the due date so that you're not paying actual interest on it. Um, So that's one way that people tend to get slipped up. But yeah, don't pay any interest. Otherwise, 
you're just eliminating the value of the points. 100%. What else? Yeah, and I'm kind of uh, going off of that. Like, I, 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 like you said, the biggest question that all of us get, I'm sure, when talking to someone about this is like, doesn't this hurt your credit? And that's why it's important to kind of have that literacy of how a credit score works to to really understand it. And I think all of us would agree that like there might be some short-term impacts like when you open a new card, but over the long term, it actually helps build a stable credit profile. And that's primarily because like new credit or your like length of credit history only accounts for about like 25% of your score versus like payment history amounts owed is over 50% of your credit score. So over time, you build up more payment history, which helps build a more robust credit profile, right? That's more than 50%, which helps offset that like 25% hit from like opening a new card in your length of credit history. I don't know about y'all, but at this point, like usually when I apply for a card, my credit might dip one or two points. You know, when you start off, it'll dip a little bit more, but over time, and I don't mean years, I mean like two to three months, you'll generally find it comes back up to where it was before. But the longer you do it, the more robust credit profile you build. And it gets like really well insulated to where when you apply for cards in the future, you generally don't even see your credit score dropping. Yeah. For me, I feel like the biggest sort of misconception is still the mindset, similar to what Emily was saying, is that, oh, you use credit cards, you must be in debt. And for some reason, it's just this like stigma that that continues on no matter that we're always sort of fighting of, no, I use credit cards, but, you know, pay them off and don't ever really carry balances or anything like that. So, you know, it's just, just kind of odd to me that the the default sort of mindset people have of credit cards is sort of has like a vehicle for giving you more and more debt versus just literally like a payment method. Yeah. I mean, what was yeah. that saying we mentioned in the last episode? Oh yeah. Pay- credit cards are a, a method of payment, not a source of funds. Shout yeah, out Megan. There you go. <laughs> exactly. But see, see all those and more. It's, I'll try not to go on like a, a monologue rant here because with credit scores, it's like, it's just such a weird topic that's so full of misinformation. And at some point I would love to kind of do like, you know, the family guy episode where they try to find like the source of dirty jokes and they kind of like go all over the country and like, right, who told you that one? And they try to, I want to do that for credit scores. Like who's out there just pounding people over the head with the information, like opening a card is like, will destroy your score. Like somewhere, someone is coming up with that and putting it into the world and it's just reverberating. I want to find like, who that is and, and be like, stop, please stop. Doing fear, that. Your, fear of the unknown. Basically, you know, I have, most people have limited knowledge on some of this stuff. So they get scared of it by default and then they kind of not just to, sort of piggyback. Not to put you on the rant, but yeah, not to, not to get you going. <laughs> but like, I, f- I feel like my biggest annoyance is when people are like, oh no, like it's good to pay interest. Like that really helps your credit score when you pay interest. It's like, n- no, it doesn't. <laughs> Mm-mm. Yeah, it's to avoid going that rant. Th- th- I think the one thing I'll say, like the cause of almost all of these myths is seeing half of the equation or like a half truth and not being able to balance two things that are seemingly contradictory. So like, for example, applying for any sort of credit, gets you a hard inquiry, dings your score, bad, right? But opening and having more credit and using it over time builds credit history, good. 
So these are two contradictory things. You have to do the bad thing to get more of the good thing. And for some reason, that just kind of does not compute with humans. We want to see these perfect binaries. Is this good or is this bad? And that's just not how credit works. So I would, I would just leave people with this. It, when you're hearing credit advice from the average person, one, be very skeptical of it without any sort of like source or, or backup. But two, just ask yourself, what's the other side of this equation that we're not talking about? Because there's usually some other type of balancing factor that comes into play. But the bottom line is using credit cards responsibly is going to help your credit. That's simple. So hopefully we have some of that stigma out of the way. It takes a while to completely get rid of it. But let's talk about the other positive things about credit cards. Kind of touched on the sign-up bonuses a bit and how very different values in terms of different types of points. You know, 100,000 Hilton points are dramatically less valuable than 100,000 Chase Hilton reward points. You have to be very careful about comparing points versus points and understanding that difference. Before we kind of jump into earning rates and, and other things on the cards, I just want to quickly toss around another kind of fun question. What are some of the worst sign-up bonuses that you've ever seen offered on a credit card before? How many enemies are we about to make here? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's ever gone to Costco and been convinced to sign up for their credit card in exchange for a Tumblr. That's a pretty bad one. I, yes. I haven't even I think been the, convinced I think the bucket's to even sign worse. up. <laughs> I did see actually, I think the highest offer from them was like a nice insulated cooler. So keep your eyes peeled Ooh, for that one. That was uh, Home Depot, right? <laughs> oh, maybe, yeah. The bucket, the See, Home Depot. I think. The bucket. I, I haven't even been convinced sure. to like sign up for a Costco membership. That's how I'm. I'm avoiding those oh. offers. Um, no, you need the Costco think, like, membership. No, no, I don't. Yes. No, I don't. I think the uh, worst bonuses I've seen are just like cards that don't have a bonus at all. And I'm not gonna call out any in particular. But there's a lot of cards out there trying to market their benefits and their perks that don't offer any bonus. And like, if you like, we said in the last episode, the bonus is the quickest and easiest way to get those points. And no matter how much marketing company tries to do to convince you that, oh, we're we've got this unique value proposition. It's probably going to take years of spending on that card to get the same amount of points as one that has even a low bonus of a bucket. <laughs> I saw a two liter at Walmart once. Sign up for a credit card, get a free two liter, which is what, a dollar? <laughs> I've seen two two liters. Maybe they should just oh, make it like a dozen eggs. time offer. Do you get to pick Does your your flavor of two liter? <laughs> I think I I would hope so, but maybe not. <laughs> was it like name brand or store brand? I want yeah, I want to say it was it Dr. Pepper or Dr. Thunder. <laughs> I think it was Dr. Thunder. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, people were signing up for it, which is what's wild. And also shout out to store cards, which are super deceptive. Like, do you want to yeah. save 15% on this purchase? Which sounds great, but like if you're spending like 50 bucks, like congrats, you saved $7.50. I was in line behind somebody at the store the other day and they Saved like $12 on their purchase. And I just couldn't, couldn't believe it. Ouch. Anyway, be skeptical of those. Let's talk about earning rates. So beyond the sign of bonus, which again, we, we want to emphasize is, is just so important when you, when you run the numbers. But that's not to say that you shouldn't pay attention to the earning rates on credit cards. And by earning rates, I mean, how many points does certain purchase earn? You know, many, many times with credit cards, you'll get higher points per dollar spent on certain categories. This is generally where 
a lot of the credit cards uh, emphasize in their marketing, you know, Capital One Ventures, like 2X on everything, and that's great, or 4X on purchases of these airlines. And these are something that you uh, are generally going to want to pay attention to, just set within the context of sign-up bonuses. I think Travis mentioned earlier, that says it best, just think about how long it's going to take you to earn the same amount of points that you get as a sign-up bonus. You know, 5X on groceries is great, but you'd have to spend... $10,000 on groceries at that category spend to earn the same amount of points you earn from most other credit cards. So you just kind of have to keep that in mind. But for a lot of folks, it's important to pay attention to the earn rates on things that you spend quite a bit of money on, dining, groceries, gas, because those do add up over time. And paying just a little bit of attention to which card should I use for this is something that's going to help you get farther in this hobby in the long run. Now, I'll share kind of my own personal philosophy, which surprises most people when I share this with them. Because I think a common assumption about me and I'm sure anyone else that works in this space is that we kind of walk around with these giant wallets of like 30 credit cards and we're sitting there at like Panera buying a $2 bagel and we're like, ooh, like which one of these am I going to use? And you kind of flip through the Rolodex. The way that I do it is if I'm buying something that's less than like 200 bucks, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Like if it's uh, whether it earns two, 2x, 3x, my philosophy is that the, like the mental thinking to try to remember all of that or like kind of have a... a, a a note card cheat sheet is generally not worth it for the amount of points you earn. You know, you're spending hundred bucks, whether something's two X, three X, we're talking about a difference of like a hundred or 200 points, which is worth probably in the range of like one to $2. So keep that in mind. How do y- y'all approach spending categories? Am I crazy? How do you approach that? I want to jump in here first and say, I appreciate that the usage of y'all just rubbed off on yep. Bryce. I yep. did. <laughs> Love it. Oh, bless it's your heart, a, it, Bryce. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, let's not be mean. <laughs> bless no, your heart. That's the ultimate Southern compliment. <laughs> that's not my bless understanding of it. <laughs> yeah, that's not my understanding of bless your heart. I, I, I don't know. Maybe North Carolina is a little too far north. <laughs> uh, <laughs> No, I, I'm I'm the exact same way as you, Bryce. Like the return you're getting by trying to maximize earning rates is generally pretty low compared to a bonus. Like I have a few cards. Like I use uh, the American Express Gold card for my groceries when I'm not working yeah. on a bonus because it earns four points on the first twenty five thousand dollars spent per year at U.S. supermarkets and one point after that. But I don't spend more than that amount in groceries because I don't have kids. Um, (laughs) But uh, like it it, kind of comes down to a keep it simple thing, you know, like I could overwork it and stress about it, but the difference is generally going to be, oh no, I used the card that earns 3X instead of 4X. So I missed out on 100 or 200 points. It's just not worth, just not worth the, the hassle of managing that. Yeah. I feel better now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not alone. I'd say I'm probably 85% the same way. Most of the time I don't really focus on it, but I also make sure I'm not getting just one point per dollar on anything. So I'm at least getting like 1.5x on like a freedom on the yeah. net or just mm-hmm. something to make sure it's same. not just one point. But yeah, I mean, I'll pull out a Sapphire Preferred to get, you know, the extra points on travel or dining or or something like that. But, you know, if I get only 2x instead of 3 or 4x, I'm not going to split hairs about it. When I first kind of got into the space, it was every transaction was fully maximized. But over time, it's, oh, I guess you can kind of see the evolution of 
the mindset from, I have to maximize every dollar to, hey, as long as I'm doing it most of the time, I'm in good shape. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, like, yeah I don't, I, I mean, I don't need to uh, repeat what you guys have just said because it's, it's pretty <laughs> much accurate. Unanimous I, opinion. Yeah. I guess I just like, I remember the big categories for the most part, like you guys have said, travel, groceries, but beyond that, I just like, I don't know if my brain has space for it. <laughs> but I do know there's those little stickers you can put on your cards. One of our, our members sells them on Etsy. So yeah, uh, if you need help remembering, there's a way to do it. Those are insanely popular. I'm a fan. I think like I see it a lot too with the cards that have like rotating categories with people feeling like they have to get everything out of it. And like, again, like I'm not going to make a special trip to Lowe's or Home Depot just to to maximize it if that happens to be the bonus for that quarter but it's also like important to not let that lull you into the trap of spending money that you wouldn't have otherwise spent like i i do commonly see people being like almost anxious about maximizing those like quarterly bonuses that some cards have and what i'm always kind of wondering is like is that money you were already going to spend or are you just spending it because you're getting these extra points and there's no way that like the, the return of the points is going to be worth it versus holding on to that money yourself. If you weren't otherwise going to, going to spend it. Yep. I guess really the bottom line when it comes to kind of earning rates on credit cards, it's something to mildly pay attention to. It's something that does come into play kind of later on as you kind of progress through the hobby or if you have a unique, unique circumstance, you know, you own a business that has a high level of spend or like your household spend is naturally much higher than most others, then you start to pay attention to those things. But just try to avoid a situation where you're spending an hour and a half evaluating credit card offers to see which one is best for your, you know, $70 monthly spend on Starbucks. Like it, it just truly is not going to add up to that much and you'll uh, get sidetracked and, and away from what really matters. Next aspect of a credit card to look at is annual fee. This is another one that really it scares a lot of people away because they just don't look past the numbers. Most travel credit cards or really any credit cards out there have annual fees between, I don't know, $40 on the low end, as high as $700 on the high end. A good number of these cards waive the fee for the first year, but not all of them do. And you do see a lot of folks who enter the points and miles hobby who just can't get past that big number. They'll tell themselves things like, why would I pay an annual fee for a credit card when there are free ones out there? A bunch of other similar type of opinions that really all boil down to not looking past the fee and deciding, is this worth it? So another one I want to open up to the group, uh, what are some cards that you have had, or I guess are aware of that have high annual fees that you think would absolutely be worth it? I love my United club card. To be fair, I didn't get it specifically for the club access. Um, I was just wanting to stack up some United miles and it was offering a hundred thousand point bonus. It has $550 annual fee, but the club membership to United Clubs is $650. And I'm not going to pretend like United Clubs are the best thing in the world. But like in my case, I live in Houston. It's a United Hub. There's like a United Club in almost every single terminal. And even though they're not as nice as like the Centurion Lounge, they're generally less crowded and have more space. And if you've ever been to the Centurion Club in Houston, they also have windows. So you don't feel like you're stuck in a prison. So like in, the, in that instance, like I've learned to 
I've grown to really enjoy it and the the benefits that come from it. Like the 100,000 point bonus at the time to me is much more valuable than the annual fee to begin with. This is just an additional perk on top of it. And with like the net cost of the annual fee, like they basically are just paying you to go to the lounge. <laughs> yeah. And like a lot of times, like I used to would get to the airport early to go to the lounge. Now I'm trying to shorten that time as much as possible. So if I'm flying United, I have to go all the way to the international terminal to go to the Centurion lounge, probably wait in line now. I'm generally not going to get you a use out of it versus the United clubs. I've always been able to walk in and get a seat. It might be slim pickings on seats, but I'm at least able to get a seat, you know, get a coffee, just chill for the 20, 30 minutes before I need to walk to my gate. That's instead of a terminal away, it's like a five minute walk. But wait, quick aside, tell me if any of you are in this crazy camp too. Do do y'all, there I go again, y'all. Do y'all walk to your gate first to make sure it exists and yeah. then come back and get coffee? Everyone nope. does that, right? I do. Nope. Nope. No, you. Yeah. Nope. Nope. F3 okay. did not just suddenly fall off the building. <laughs> but you don't know but until yeah. you see no. it. You walk down, no, there's a sign like board the bus to Terminal F. It leaves no. every three hours on the hour. And you're like, well. No. The reason nope. I don't is because uh, I use some of the flight tracking apps that I get updated through like flight rate, flight. Um, Sorry, trip it and flighty and stuff like that before I'm going to get the like screens and the, up, the airport get updated. So if there's ever like a gate change or something, most of the time I know about it five or 10 minutes before the actual airline announces that stuff. So that's even more incentive yeah. to not. Well, I'm not even talking gate. about gate change. I'm just no. talking about the mythical world where a gate doesn't exist. No. Yeah. Why, why, why do that? Why? Don't trust, Wait, trust the why? data, Bryce. Trust the data. We yeah. are very evenly split on this. Yeah. <laughs> I see a lot of other people do that too. Well, and you live in Denver, Emily, and that airport is a marathon oh, yeah. and a half to navigate. I, so that's a big commitment. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. When I, <laughs> If my gate is like some Southwest gate, like 75, and I have to walk four miles to get there, I'm still just going to confirm. You know, I got to so, get my like, steps in. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. But like, even when you're like gate three out of three total gates in Columbus, Ohio... You still hey. go to the gate first. <laughs> hey, yeah, I guess home airport is the exemption. He can just turn his head and look left and he'll just see it there. Yeah, no, I'll, just, exactly. I'll just pull up the airport map to see where it's at to try to get a sense of how long it's going to take me to get there. Entirely logical and, and still feels weird to me. But anyway, sorry for the aside. <laughs> Credit cards that are that are pay for the fees. I think the one that, that I'll mention and probably the, the most common one that comes up when this is asked is the American Express Platinum card. You know, it's what, $695 per year. Most people that we talk to stop reading when they see that, which is somewhat natural. Like who pays $700 for a credit card? But when you dig into it, you get what, $20 a month in streaming credit that works for most streaming platforms that people already have, as well as some other things that are, are pretty common. Uber credits up to $200 per year. It's divided out monthly. I use that, works on Uber Eats. You get the $200 airline incidental credit, which a lot of people find ways to get to flight credits with many popular airlines. When you run the numbers, you know, even if you don't use some of the kind of higher end credits on that card, like Equinox, which I've still literally never met another human who goes to Equinox. But even if you take out those, you just go with the obvious ones, you end up getting back like four to $500 per year on that card and just simple type of credits, which make that fee much more manageable, especially when you consider the many other perks and bonuses that card comes with. But yeah. I think that Amex plot is just such a perfect kind of case study that I encourage anyone to kind of walk through just to get familiar with 
getting over that sticker shock. You have to you have to read what do you get for the fee to really properly evaluate a credit card. Yeah, the coupon book, the Amex coupon. That's book. what it feels like. Yeah, <laughs> mine's yeah. a little bit of an outlier and a little bit of a case study into real life, like annual fee sort of analysis to make see if it makes sense to keep the card. Mine's the Marriott Bonvoy Brilliant card. So I've kept that. I've had it for I don't know three or four years since it after the SPG merger, and then they announced it. Uh, historically, it's had I think it was five fifty four fifty. Or five fifty annual fee. I can't remember which one, but you got three hundred. I think it was four fifty. Yeah, and you got three hundred dollars back at Marriott as a statement credit. So effectively, dropped the annual fee to one hundred fifty bucks. And then you got some other. You got a fifty k free night certificate, and then you got fifteen elite night credits towards status. Um, so for me, that was a no brainer. They've since changed it a couple months ago. I think in like October. Now it's a six hundred fifty dollar annual fee. You don't get. You get three hundred dollars. In statement credits, but they did the thing just like on the Amex Gold and Platinum where it's issued as up to $25 per month in dining credits. So much trickier to use. I've already forgotten to use like one or two of them. You know, jokes on me. But the you do now get an 85,000 point per night annual free night certificate. So, you know, that kind of helps a little bit too. But, you know, 650 that's a tough one. Um, it does come with automatic platinum status. So, if, you know, if people are focused on status too, it's, it's up there. I'm on the fence as to whether I'm going to renew it. I mine renews in June, uh, so I renewed last June at 450 before it got updated. But I'm on the fence about it this June if I'm actually going to renew it or not. Yeah, but that's See, a great example of like everyone doing the math each time your annual yeah. fee. It's like it's a, kind of like a practice in I don't know deciding whether it's worth it or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny because I'm actually like analyzing whether or not I should get it. I don't know if I'm going to requalify for platinum status next year with Marriott. And I think I'm like three or four years away from like lifetime platinum. So I'm kind of like, well, maybe I should just get that to get the the years to count towards my lifetime platinum. Yeah, that's, I'm in a similar boat. I'm two years away from lifetime platinum, so I'll probably keep it. The nice thing is they just upped it as part of this change too. You get 25 elite night credits as a part of it as well. So if you have it with this and a business card, you start the year at 40 elite night credits, which gives you quite a a, a jump start. So I'll probably do it at least for one more year to hit lifetime platinum, but then after that, TBD. So between the two of you, I'm never going to win the competition of who gets the nicest room on a business trip. I'm nope. definitely screwed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, and now I'm just a platinum. Matt, Matt is still titanium, I believe. So, yep. Um, yep. I'm almost requalified for this year, too. So, got to assert my dominance while I'm sitting in economy because you're a United Gold, but you know, no big deal. Uh, platinum, thank you very much. Oh, pardon much. me. Pardon me. I, I wanted to give you the opportunity to correct me. <laughs> you're right. Anytime. I appreciate it. Yep. I'll I'll uh, throw in one reasonably priced annual fee card just to round it out here. So just on like the most basic level, if you get like one of the lower end hotel cards that costs like $85 or $95 a year, most of them will come with a, a free night. Um, and as long as you're using it effectively, you can definitely get more than $85 or $95 worth of value out of that. And just that alone encourages me to keep a lot of these like lower end cards because it's just so easy to just find a hotel that costs like $150 a night and you've already made a profit off of the annual fee. So I'm with you. I love hotel cards for the annual free night awards. Some of them, yeah, like in the $85, $95 range, you can get 
three or four hundred dollars worth of credit out of and I do every year and it's still yeah. it just feels like robbery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you save them for like kind of unique events. Like the, my most recent one, I just used a Hyatt free night cert to book like kind of just an, a very basic Hyatt in Cincinnati, but it's to go to the Taylor Swift Eras tour. Exactly. Right? It was like a, a up to a category three cert, I think, which is normally kind of like, you know, airport hotels and, and low end stuff. But this particular hotel is walkable to the concert and going for like six to $700 per night. And here I am cashing in a free night cert that I literally had forgotten about until I logged into my Hyatt account. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Worth keeping. So yeah, that's what I was Swiftie, telling you. Huh? Yeah. Uh, that's uh, another tangent. Credit scores <laughs> and Taylor Swift. That'll be a future episode that I can go down. But. Yeah. That's what I was telling my, my brother's uh, trying to go to Beyonce all over the country, wherever. And I was like, just like book a bunch of Hyatt's. They'll probably be like 10,000 points for one night and they'll be worth like $900 when you try and book it for cash when Beyonce is in town. So just speculatively book it. Yeah, I agree. I'm just I'm just glad that you managed to get some tickets finally, Bryce. I actually haven't yet. I'm just waiting for prices to come down. So oh, no. I mean, I'm not worried. I'm going to get them, and I'm even if I have to pay an arm and a leg, I'll go. But at I least mean, you it helps get a to lock in the hotel, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the hotel alone would have been you know roughly similar to the price of a ticket. So yeah, just even if for some reason you don't get tickets, you can probably cancel. You know, 24, 48 hours before the show or something like that too. Yeah. I could. That's not going to happen, but I could. <laughs> uh, but, uh, just just be aware if you see someone pushing a janitor's cart into the hotel. Well, yeah, I I, I know that trick. I also have a TikTok. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I, I, I have a wife who sends me TikToks. <laughs> there we go. So anyway, Swifties aside, that's annual fees. Bottom line thing to know if you're new to points and miles is just don't let annual fee be a deal breaker. Don't look at it and say, absolutely not. Read what you get. And you very well might read all those benefits and decide, this isn't worth it for me. And that's good. You did a good thing. But when you just see a fee and skip the rest of it, you're going to miss out on quite a bit of value that cards provide. Next aspect to look at when choosing a credit card is the minimum spend. This is the amount of money that a credit card will require you to spend in a certain amount of time in order to qualify for the bonus. That certain amount of time is almost always three months. And minimum spends tend to range between... $2,000 and I'd say like five to $6,000 would be most cards. Business cards are going to be generally higher. Super premium cards are going to be generally higher. But most cards are somewhere in the range of like three to $4,000 spend in three months, a little over $1,000 a month. So you do need to be cognizant of that before signing up for a card to make sure you can earn the bonus. Now, there's many situations in which you're going to be right on the border, right? If your spending patterns are like most other people we talk to, it's like, yeah, maybe if I move all my bills, it'll be kind of close. So there's a couple of tips that we want to share today to kind of help you get over that hump without spending additional money or causing additional financial harm. So I kind of want to open it up to the group here uh, and ask, what sorts of tactics have you used in the past to help up your organic spend to, to hit these higher level minimum spends? The easiest one that I think people often overlook, uh, especially if you're a business owner, is paying taxes with your credit cards that you know at least come April, maybe depending on your other tax situation, there might be multiple payments per year, but you have like often a sizable payment that's due every April 15th, give or take, uh, that depending on your situation could meet one, two, five, however many welcome bonuses and is a 
fantastic way to meet bonuses with spend you have to do. Um, especially, you know, sometimes you could use it to meet a higher level minimum spends. You know, maybe you can't spend fifteen thousand dollars in three months, but your business has a tax bill for fifteen grand. It's a great way to kind of knock that one off the list. So, I think that's one that people uh, often don't even think of because it's not free. You do have to pay a little bit of a fee, but combined with uh, the value of the welcome bonus to do so is is a great option for meeting minimum spends. Yeah, let's let's quickly zoom on that if we could, because as you mentioned, there there is a small fee, and that's typically the case with using your credit card to pay those types of expenses. So with with taxes in particular, and admitted, I, I don't know as much about this as most people, but you, you do have to use third-party services, right, to, to pay these bills. You don't just go to irs.com and they have Correct. a Stripe link and you just pay a card, right? You have to go through a third-party. Can you tell us a little bit about, like, typically what are the fees yep. and, and how do you think about paying those? Yeah, we'll leave a link to the article on 10xtravel.com about this in the show notes. But uh, to do so, there are three current payment providers that you can do this for, and they're all, like, affiliated with the IRS, like like authorized payment providers for with the IRS. One's pay1040.com, one is payusatax.com, and the other is acipayonline.com. Don't worry, that'll be in the article. But most of these range from 1.85 to just under 2% fee for what you pay. So if you know if you owe ten thousand dollars, you'll pay roughly, you know, two hundred bucks in fees, give or take, for that payment to be able to do so. If you're meeting a sign-up bonus that will return you, you know, a hundred thousand say chase points by paying, you're essentially paying $200 to buy those 100,000 chase points, which is a, a very positive uh, and profitable move. So definitely worth it. Gotcha. Travis, Emily, any other tactics that you've used to hit minimum spend? Yeah. One of the easiest ones for me is just like thinking about spend that's going to get reimbursed to me. So whether that's like on a work trip and you don't have a corporate card, you use your personal card and you get recoup that money from your from your employer or even easier you're going out to dinner with friends and you volunteer to drop your card pay for the whole bill and everyone just venmos you back and that's just an easy way to maybe your share of the dinner is 50 bucks but you're actually earning a lot more points because you are paying 400 dollars for all your friends to eat to make sure your friends yeah, are going to pay you back right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely don't and that's uh, always <laughs> don't offer to pay for big expenses without trusting that the person's going to pay you back. But hopefully we all have good friends out there. Of course, that's always a fun one when you get your friends into points and miles because then they're oh. like, oh no, I'll use my card. <laughs> yeah, um, No, I insist. I, you know? <laughs> I like to find bills that I can prepay. So like my cell phone bill, I can pay well in advance. So again, as long as I've got the money to pay off the card, then I can just prepay my cell phone bill for a few months. Or maybe your like local utility lets you lets you prepay in advance. Um, a lot of times, like anyone where you can kind of enter a custom amount, it might not be like they technically let you, but a lot of times if you're paying a bill and it gives you the option to like type in an other amount, you can try to go over it and then just get a credit applied to your account. It's a good way to to really help hit those spends that I like to do because it doesn't necessarily require going out of my way to find something else. Got it. Minimum spend, yeah, really the only thing you know is make sure you can hit it on a card before you sign up. My other, check I have one more favorite technique go ahead. that I've never tried, but I've, I know some people that have and have always been jealous. Anytime you're in line at like a store checking out and the person in front of you is paying in cash, Offer to swipe and have them pay you in cash. Oh man, I feel like it would be terrible. The average person's like, excuse me, what? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, what? that would make me nervous. 
Same. No, I agree. Yeah. That's why I've never <laughs> done it, but I know some people that have. If you do, let us know how it goes, please. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's minimum spend. Next, we'll, we'll talk about what we call card affiliation or the type of points that you earn. This is really closely related to our discussion earlier about evaluating different sign-up bonuses and how they compare to each other. You know, each card out there is going to earn a different type of points and miles. So you have to be careful when comparing them because two is not always greater than one. You might see a particular card that earns, you know, 5X on groceries. And then you compare that to one that only earns 2X on groceries. But if the 5X on groceries is some point or mile that's low value or that you don't really have a particular use for, and the 2X is one that has much more upside, you just have to keep in mind that these are not the same thing. So I'm not sure what else needs to really be said about that, except for the fact that you need to always be on your guard that two is not always greater than one. You have to look to the value of the points uh, when looking at which card to open and, and how you use it. I think it get back, gets back to our discussion earlier about 10,000 pesos is not necessarily better than $100. You know, So you can't focus on the number. You have to understand uh, the value of the number and stuff as well. Yeah, the one other thing I would add to is I think a lot of people get tripped up between like the card issuer and then like the brand name that's on the card, if it's a co-branded card. So just because Chase has an IHG card doesn't mean you're going to earn Chase points. You're going to earn IHG points. So just don't let that difference confuse you when you're applying for a new card. Excellent point. We see that all the time. A couple more things to look at when evaluating cards and not directly related to kind of earning points which we're talking about today, but you do want to be aware of the other benefits offered by cards. We talked kind of quickly about some that have lounge access or free hotel nights or progress towards status. Things that you want to be aware of that don't necessarily directly help you earn points, but they do fit into the broader strategy of points, miles, using credit cards, and these tactics to save money on travel and kind of elevate your experience. So really key things to look for, lounge access. Really many of the premium cards are going to offer you access to a variety of different lounge networks. You want to watch out for foreign transaction fees. Most travel cards, I'd say, do not charge those. It's usually about 3% if you're using your, your card outside the United States. But many cards, especially those with no fee, do charge foreign transaction fees. And that's something you do want to be aware of. So kind of just browsing through the card material and making sure you understand how to get the most of that card. And to kind of bring it to like bottom line credit cards. And I know we've kind of been talking about this quite a bit over the last couple of episodes and earning points and miles, but... They are the biggest piece in all of this for goal number one, earning as many points and miles as you can. To kind of wrap up credit cards, you know, pay attention to the sign-up bonuses. That's really the biggest place that you're going to earn points and miles, strategically opening new cards whenever you feel comfortable doing so to earn those uh, bonuses, knowing that that's going to make up the bulk of your earnings. Paying close attention to points versus points, knowing they're not all the same valuable. Go for the transferable currencies first. Go to our best cards page, linked in the show notes. We rank them for you to make it as easy as possible. But in addition to the bonus, looking at how the card earns points on what types of categories, what other types of perks it might come with to make an evaluation on what's going to be the best card for you. So that's that's credit cards. Let's move on to some of the other ways to earn points and miles. Starting with the next one, shopping and cashback portals. This one I've actually asked Matt to kind of lead us through because he is, I don't know, would you say, our resident expert on shopping portals, definitely our heaviest user. Uh, so... Matt, the floor is yours. How do we use, how do we earn points with uh, shopping and cashback portals? They're not complicated, but the easiest way I think to understand them, especially now, is most people have sort of been online and seen you know content creators, influencers, or whatever, and they're always like, "Hey, swipe up, use my link, or use my code, whatever." And you know, I assume that most people know that they get a kickback from uh, whoever that company is that they're working with. You know, if, if you make a sale, 
if, if you buy a purchase um, for something through their link, they get kind of a commission. Shopping portals are the same way, except they ultimately make everybody their own influencer in a, <laughs> in a way. Uh, if you log into some of these networks, the uh, Top Cashback, Rakuten, Be Frugal are some of the the popular shopping portals. If you click the link in your account and go to you know a merchant, they will tell you how much cashback that you'll get for making an eligible purchase from that merchant. Click the link, go do your shopping, you know, check out. But then either the same day or maybe a couple of days later, you'll get an email from the network and it says, hey, congrats, you know, you made $7, you made $14, whatever it is from uh, the eligible purchase you made. It's that easy. It's simply just adding a click or two before you go to uh, a general store website and you can get uh, points back or, or you can get cash back. And then, you know, some of these programs like Rakuten, you can have your points issued as American Express membership rewards points if you have previously set up your account uh, with your Amex account. And you won't actually get cash back, but you'll get American Express rewards points back, which is even more of a sort of intermediate slash pro level uh, move. Shopping portals are, are the networks like Top Cashback, Rakuten, Be Frugal, and there's a, a bunch more. Aren't just the only ones. Um, hotels, airlines, and banks on their own also have their own shopping portals. So you can shop through Chase and get additional Chase Ultimate Rewards points or shop through United shopping portal and you'll earn the, your cashback will be issued as United Miles and so on through all the different programs. So there's a, a good site called Cashback Monitor, and they basically kind of monitor, pun intended, the the overall landscape of all these different programs. So if you go there and say you want to go shop at Walmart, you type in Walmart on, on cashbackmonitor.com, they'll break down all the different programs and let you know who's paying what. And so pull it up and you can see it'll range anywhere from 1% through a few networks all the way up to 4%, 5% sometimes, maybe even 10% for specific purchases on certain categories. Or you can earn three American Airlines miles through their uh, shopping portal or up to three points from Shop Through Chase and all this stuff. So Cashback Monitor is probably your, your best resource for staying on top of all this stuff. Yeah. I think it's important to to add that like when you're going through these shopping portals, it's not like taking you to a different version of the website. Some people think that like, oh, it's going to take me to a different version of Nike where they're not going to have the deals and the sales. It's not like that. Like it's taking you to the exact same site. Any deals that if you went straight to Nike would still be there. The prices are going to be exactly the same. There are sometimes like limitations on coupons and stuff that you can use. And the portal you're in will tell you that like, oh, it's only good with these coupons. But like in my experience, I've never had it where the cash back or, or points have not posted because I've used another coupon. So you're, you're generally going to be finding the exact same prices. Um, you can use coupons like there's nothing lost on your end by going through through shopping portals and it's really low effort it doesn't take a lot of work like especially if you're using cashback monitor like matt said like if you type in a site if you type in you know nike and you decide oh i want to use the united shopping portal and you click the united shopping portal it's going to take you straight to the united shopping portals page for nike then you just click one more time and you're there and it's really low effort, really easy way to to add some additional points when you're shopping online. 
that is shopping portals. Dining programs are next, and really they work very much like shopping portals. Dining programs are programs that you can sign up for online. Pretty much every airline has one. And when you uh, dine or make a purchase at a participating location in that program, you know you won't even notice that this is happening, but you get extra points given to you by that airline or whoever's program you signed up for without even knowing it. It's usually a small amount, like a couple hundred points here and there. But the, the great thing about dining programs is you really don't have to pay that much attention to them. Like you want to sign up for it initially, like link your card. You can completely forget about it. Like this is what I do. And then I'll just be kind of casually living my life and I'll get an email like, hey, Bryce, thanks for dining at this restaurant last night. Like here's an extra 250 American Airlines points that you generally don't have to pay attention to. So not going to add up to a whole lot, but it does help with kind of keeping some points from expiring if they have uh, some sort of activity requirement to do so. But it's really yeah, just fire and forget, making it real easy. It It's a low effort way to just like be sure you're not leaving anything on the table. Like there are times when leaving stuff on the table, I would say is fine because it's going to require so much work to do it. But dining programs are one of those, like you said, you sign up once and then you just kind of forget about it. And occasionally, oh, look, some points posted. Next way to earn points and miles. This is the one that most people would probably list first. Flying. This is kind of old school points and miles, like the the golden age of business travel, if you will. But of course, you do earn points and miles from flying or, you know, in the case of hotels, staying at a hotel on paid stays. But that's the key thing to know. You're almost never going to earn points and miles if you are flying or staying on a trip booked with points and miles, right? You can't double dip. So this is really only something that is going to be a key piece for, for individuals who are traveling on paid trips often, whether you have a, a lot of travel going on in your personal life or more commonly, you have some sort of job in which you travel for business and those points can kind of add up. Now, this used to be a lot more straightforward when points earning was generally related to like distance traveled, but things have become a lot more opaque, if you will, as airline programs have shifted more toward like revenue-based programs where you earn more based on the amount that you spend multiplied by the like statuses that you might have to where it really does feel harder these days to earn points and miles that that can add up if you're just a casual traveler who goes for the best price airline here and there. So I know that's definitely in my bucket. I don't fly on a, a lot of paid like revenue trips is, is what we would call them. So it doesn't really play a huge part in my earning strategy. But I guess I wanted to ask the group, is flying earning miles from actually traveling a, a big part of strategy for, for any of you? No. Nope. I mean, a lot of head shaking. <laughs> like a... A, a good example is um, I did recently fly on a revenue ticket to North Carolina and with my status, which is like not the top tier, but not the lowest tier. I got like 5,000 miles in total when a reward flight is generally going to start at 15, 20,000 miles one way in economy. That's a lot of flying you actually have to do to build up miles that way versus using a card. Agreed. Really, the thing to know about earning miles from flying is just make sure that you have signed up for a loyalty program before flying. Otherwise, you're just forfeiting your miles. There are cases where you'll want to maybe credit the earnings of your flight to another partner program, which gets a little bit more complex. I don't know if you want to dive into the weeds on that just yet. Just make sure you have a loyalty number attached to your account when flying on these paid flights. And otherwise, for most people, this isn't something you have to put a lot of thought into. Kind of like dining programs, kind of like shopping programs, the miles are just going to kind of add up, even if you're not aware of it. They'll be there for you in the future. But there's not a lot of strategy that the general person has to be aware of, of how to earn a bunch more points by flying versus the average person. 
buying and transferring miles. This is another one that is, is often very misunderstood. You can actually just buy miles with pretty much any program on earth. Doing so is usually a bad idea, but not always. I wanted to ask if anyone in the group wants to tackle when, when is the always or when is the not always when you might actually consider buying miles and, and coming out ahead financially. And I see everyone's kind of got that smile of like, eh. I love talking the idea of buying miles. There are certainly times when it makes sense. But the biggest thing to keep in mind is that you should never buy miles when you don't have an immediate use for them where you know you're getting more value than what you're spending. So we get a lot of times like Hilton loves to run promotions. Oh, buy one mile, give get one free. And people want to load up on them. They're like, oh, I can buy 160,000 Hilton honors points and I'll get 320,000 and it's only going to cost me $2,500. Well, do you have a specific place in mind where you're going to be using those where you would have paid more than $2,500 that you're going to book right after you buy them? Because points and miles, they get devalued over time. We have seen it before where an airline or a hotel does a big sale And then the very next day, they changed their award chart. All of those miles they just sold got devalued. So it's perfectly fine to buy them if you have an immediate use where you're getting more value. The other place where it generally makes sense, and it goes with the same philosophy, is like maybe you're short just a few miles for for what you need. I've done this myself quite a few times. You know, maybe I've needed an additional five or 10,000 points or miles to book the flight or hotel, whatever part of my trip. And to buy those, it's $100, $200. In that case, generally, it's going to make sense to buy those miles to top off your account. When it comes to transferring miles, this is something that I see people get hung up on a lot. Some programs let you freely transfer miles from one person to another. Hotels are generally a little bit more generous about this. It might not be direct or something that's easy to to navigate, but hotels tend to be a little bit better about it than airlines. Airlines, generally, if you're going to transfer points from one person's account to another, will actually require you to pay a fee to do that. And that fee is usually pretty substantial. Like you're pretty much going to wipe out the value of your miles by doing that. Like there's a few kind of common myths and I won't get into all of them, but probably the biggest one I see is that like, oh, I need to transfer these miles to my partner's account so they can book the flight in their name. You don't have to do that. You can book flights for other people in your own account. And if you're going to be transferring the points, especially if it's just to top off an account, always, always, always check to see how much it's going to cost to buy those points because I guarantee you it's going to be only a little bit more to just buy the points. And when I say a little bit more, it might be like it costs $200 to transfer 10,000 points and it's $220 to just buy them. In that case, I would just buy them, save, you know, get the additional 10,000 points and not worry about combining points. Generally, if you're having to pay to combine points, just don't do it. One important caveat on here too is that um, most people think that 
when you go to buy points in these situations that you'll be buying them from like the American Airlines website or United or whatever. In most cases, these are actually handled by a third party. A lot of them run through points.com. So you, uh, in those instances, won't get like 5X on your Amex Platinum for buying the points because the transaction is is brokered by a, a separate site. Yep. I think bottom line on, on buying points, most sales are not what they seem. If you get an email that says like, oh, today only points you know, buy this point and they're 75% off, like still not a good deal for most people unless as kind of Travis mentioned, immediate use. So do be on your guard for that, but it is one way to get additional points. One more to cover, referrals. This was one that most people tend to be familiar with that we encounter, but you get bonus points for referring your friends, family, whoever, uh, to the credit cards that you have. Usually it's somewhere in the range of 5,000 to upwards of 20,000 points per person that you refer and there's almost always an annual cap, which will be somewhere around 50,000 to 100,000 points, preventing you from you know, throwing your link on Reddit and referring 10,000 people and flying around the world for free forever. But referrals can be a great way to earn points because if you get you know, as deeper and deeper into the points of Miles Hobby, you're inevitably going to get to the point where all of your friends are like, hey, hey, how are you going to Europe like every other month? I don't think you have a ton of money, but you, you know, this looks neat. And then they kind of come into the world and, and you, of course... Uh, refer them to, to your cards. But the, I think the one point that I want to make here before kind of opening to the group for, for comments here is to do what we call responsible referring or refer responsibly. Because many times what you'll find is that the offer on a credit card that's available via like your own personal referral link might not be as good as the one that's just publicly available on the internet or by going into a bank branch. And of course, the temptation arises to say, hey, if I just send this link and don't tell my friend or family member that there's a better offer out there, I can benefit and uh, no one else will be the wiser. But trust me when I say this, that as people get kind of deeper into the points hobby, they're eventually going to figure out like, hey, there was a better offer out there. And I don't know, we would just encourage you to be a nice person, look out for the best interest of the person that you're referring, kind of play the long game there. Yeah. And even beyond just knowing there might be better offers out there, like if you have a, a hunch that your friend that you want to refer is not responsible with credit, don't like prey on them. Just to get a few thousand points. Uh, but, uh, you know, assuming you're doing everything right, a good place where referrals can come in as well is if you have what we call a P2, um, which might be a boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, whatever, someone who's really engaging in this with you, who you're typically going to be traveling with a lot. The, the like strategy and order of cards you go in is generally going to be the same for both people. So you open one, then you refer them. You open the next card, you refer them to that card. So that way, uh, again, like be sure you're getting the most points possible from your referral because total you might get more by using a different application. But it's a great way to just kind of get a few extra points whenever you're working with someone in your points and miles journey. An excellent point. And usually the next question that comes from folks in that scenario is they kind of like, you can see the brain thinking and they're like, wait a second, couldn't I use my own link and refer myself to a different card? <laughs> do not do this, please. I'm quite sure that violates like terms and conditions. So for starters, like, you know, don't violate terms and conditions, but just secondly, our general advice is never do that because you're just risking future adverse action by the bank. Who knows? six months, a year, two years down the road, one of the banks is like, hey, let's go back and see who's ever self-referred and let's just close all their accounts. It's not worth it. We've seen this happen. We have have seen this happen multiple times. Yeah, that is the 
fruit from the forbidden tree, if you will, don't do it. Just don't. And then last one in terms of earning points is what we call other promotions. These are, it's kind of just a catch-all for unique circumstances that come up where an airline might say, hey, if you fly two times with us in the next six months, we'll give you an additional 10,000 points or a, a bank or credit card will put out an offer. Or if you spend $3,000 in this card in the next six months, even though you've had it for five years, we'll give you an additional 10,000 points. These will just kind of show up seemingly out of nowhere. It won't make up a huge portion of your points and miles earning, but it's something you do want to pay attention to because sometimes these are fantastic offers. So just keep an eye out for them as they come up, kind of weigh the, the opportunity there against any other opportunity that you have to earn points. And sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't. Wouldn't fret it too much. So really, that's kind of it for, for earning points. That's the big stuff. Again, credit card bonuses are going to be the, the bulk of this. That's where you should spend most of your time in analysis. Credit card earnings beyond the bonus points that you get from just using cards for everyday spend, kind of paying attention mildly to which ones you're using, where and when, shopping and cashback portals, dining programs. These are just the fire and forget. Super simple couple of clicks, get you extra points. Actually flying, buying and transferring miles where it makes sense. Referring friends where it makes sense for both of you. Keeping an eye out for these other types of promotions. Doing as much of all of the above as you can to accomplish goal number one, earn as many points and miles as you can. In future episodes, we're going to talk about how to redeem those points and miles. That's where things can get a little bit tricky. But for now, that's it for earning points and miles. That's the big stuff to know. I again want to emphasize that uh, all of this is covered in our free course in much greater detail. There's a link to it in the show notes. Or if you want to keep it simple, 10xtravel.com slash course is the place to go to sign up for that. But before we kind of wrap up the episode, I'll just want to open it to the crew here. Any final thoughts on earning points? Or does anyone want to update their show recommendations? <laughs> Uh, from earlier in the in the course before we kind of wrap today's episode. I don't know. I'm embarrassed about my answer in the beginning, but I think I'm just going to stick with it. I've already added it to my Netflix watch list, so <laughs> oh, no. you've created a monster. Uh, now, yeah, no, now that I know you're going to watch it, I'm glad I said it. <laughs> um, I mean, I'll, I'll add like not to be a shill for Apple, but I've found like Apple TV Plus's shows have been super good. Like kind of what Netflix was a few years ago where everything they came out with was great. That's how I feel there. Like um, Severance or, man, I'm blanking Ted Lasso. On Ted Lasso. All great. Watch those. That was a bad attempt to add things because I forgot one, but whatever. <laughs> all good. Okay, let's put a bow on it. So at this point... If you've listened to all of our episodes up until now, you know how to earn points and miles, at least the very basics. As I mentioned, we're going to talk about how to redeem those here on future episodes coming up in the near future. For today's episode, that's where we're going to cut it. In the meantime, if you're itching for more points and miles education and content, we have you covered. Our free course will guide you step-by-step -step on getting started with the hobby. And it's a great resource for folks who are new to this. We are also always posting new articles on our website, 10xtravel.com, that can serve as inspiration for your next points and miles trip. If you're looking for other like-minded points and miles enthusiasts, make sure to check out our Facebook group, 10X Travel Insiders, where you can interact and learn from 210,000 plus members. For now, please raise your seatbacks, stow your tray tables as we prepare to land this episode. Thank you for listening. This has been Takeoff, a points and miles podcast by 10X Travel. Goodbye. Goodbye.